I recently recorded a segment on uh, the Degman Redridge podcast, a game of header and volleys, talking about my time as a Degnam and Redbridge or Dagnum fan, and I enjoyed it so much I thought I'd have a, another go at uh, sharing some of my thoughts and experiences of over 50 years of supporting Dagnum. And I thought, I wonder what I could talk about that would be uh, nice for people to hear. And I thought, well, it's all about the game really, isn't it? So how many games have I seen? Well, that's quite a lot, probably, I don't know, between two to 3,000 somewhere. I don't know, it's a, it's a lot. It's over 55 or so years, I would think. Um, so I thought perhaps if I just reminisced and talked about some of my favourite games, they won't necessarily be games where Dagenham won. They might, they probably end up with the games they're losing now in Dagenham and probably at the last minute if recent events or anything to go by. But it would just be about days that I've remembered and uh, just the team that we had out the day and just why it was such a good day, irrespective, as I say, of the result. So I'm going to start. I'm going to start now and. I'm going to take you back almost 20 years to the day. In fact, January 2001, uh, FA Cup game, uh, Charlton v Dagenham, uh, which, as I talked about in the in the segment I did on the podcast, uh, has actually named it as my favourite Dagenham game. And I think, still thinking about it a bit further, I think that um, still is the case. The late 1990s and noughties, were actually a great time to be a Daggers supporter. We had trips to both the old and the new Wembleys, promotions, cup runs. We were often on the back pages of the national newspapers. We had TV appearances. We broke a few football league uh, records, football records. Uh, I remember being at Boreham Wood in about 1998, 99-ish, where we had gone over a thousand minutes without conceding and a goal in the league game, and we passed the thousand minutes um, uh, at Boreham Wood, it was round about on the hour mark, I think, if I remember rightly. And the game had actually stopped. A player was injured uh, and he was down for a, a couple of minutes being treated. And the, the Daggers fans that were there that night were aware that this thousand minute mark was coming up and were counting it down. And uh, as you know, you don't get that big a crowd at Boreham Wood. And those that were there were probably wondering what the hell we were going on about. But uh, I remember that quite well. That was quite uh, eventful at the time. Uh, so we had a few records, we had lots of players to remember, we had, certainly had nights to remember, as many, many games in those, uh, those years that we're remembering. But if one occasion could possibly be highlighted as a standout memory of that time, I think you can make a very good case for Saturday, January the 6th, 2001, FA Cup, round three proper, Charlton Athletic versus Dagenham. Well, why was that game so special when ultimately we didn't win the tie? Considering that within 10 years we would meet as equals in League One, it shouldn't be forgotten that in 2001 this was a real David and Goliath tie, Premiership Charlton home to Dagenham from the conference. Uh, additionally, the Saturday before that tie, the match played at the Valley was Charlton versus Arsenal in the Premier League and Charlton absolutely smashed Arsenal 3-0. Daggers had played three games to get to the third round. We had a routine away win at Hendon in the final qualifying round then a home win against Hayes in November 2000 in the first round. That victory secured a tie at uh, league side Lincoln City in round two. That was a close match. The Daggers won it in the last minute with a Mark Janney goal uh, when he toe-poked a shot and it just slipped through the legs of the, the, the Lincoln keeper. He should easily have saved it. Funnily enough, he'd just been announced as the man of the match by the, by the, Lincoln, uh, the Lincoln Tannoy. 
Uh, we dashed home in time to catch uh, the late evening BBC match of the day when, as we'd beaten the league side and claimed that scalp, we expected that they'd probably show some decent highlights of the game and we weren't disappointed. The Daggers were highlighted uh, quite a fair bit on match of the day and at the end of it they interviewed Mark Janney about uh, his goal, he's a goal scorer and anyone who, who might have seen that might remember that when he talked about it he sort of let out an audible gasp at the end of it. That was quite a nice little moment. So we were in the draw for round three and of course when that happens you, you dream of getting Manchester United away. That's the holy ground for a non-league team. You normally end up with Hartlepool United away. But on this occasion the FA came up trumps and a trip to Charlton it was. Uh, on paper, this was a good draw, as media attention would be guaranteed. It was local enough to ensure a good support and a clear chance to showcase our team and a club that was on the up. But nevertheless, away to a Premiership side deep down, it was hard at the time to be too optimistic. However, looking back and reflecting now at that team, it was actually full of a lot of good players playing with a level of confidence that winning runs can bring. And I've always thought and suspected that was a particularly tight group. You often see them on Twitter now, uh, tweeting to one another and sort of echoing that sort of sentiment, which I think is always nice. It's more of an engagement for the fans then. So in hindsight, perhaps, there was a sniff of a surprise if Charlton took us a little bit lightly. Despite watching the Daggers for, as I say, over 50 years and having been a season ticket holder most of that time, uh, that was the one year for some reason that I failed to purchase a season ticket. That meant I was not guaranteed to receive a ticket for the Charlton match. Now, as we all know, know well, one of the traditions of the FA Cup is that when the Cup run gathers steam, a club will suddenly find a lot of new supporters, or glory hunters as they are usually known. Despite the Daggers having a ticket allocation of 3,000 for the whole of the away end, the fear I had would be on missing out. I therefore joined the queue for tickets on a Tuesday evening when despite arriving early I was nowhere near the front. An hour or so was spent gradually edging forward gritting my teeth as faces I'd seen on the terraces for years walked by to the season ticket holders queue to pick up their prize. I finally reached the front and collected my tickets. Ready to go now, looking forward to Christmas and rolling on to January. In the run-up to the game, uh, like this when it's David v Goliath, the papers would always try to find a new angle to preface any potential cup upset. Uh, that week, as I recall, was no different. As ever, it's not original, but they always do it. The story will summarise the different jobs of the part-time players compared to the pampered premiership. The Daggers received a lot of coverage, and one comparison story showed Tim Cole working at 4am in Smithfield Meat Market, waving round a large piece of meat in his day-stroke night job. Showcased as an Arsenal fan too and threatening revenge for the previous beating the Gunners had taken at Charlton. Some quotes from the Daily Mail. 24-year-old Cole has a daily routine that should shame Charlton's Premiership stars. It begins at one o'clock, in the morning that is, when he gets up, when his shift is over and by midday. I usually go to work straight after training or a game. It's tough, but I'm used to doing it now after two and a half years. And finally, I was gutted by the result on New Year's Day. I thought Arsenal could have gone there and smashed Charlton's confidence, but they'll probably be buzzing now. Hopefully I can put it right for the Gooners fans and kick a few of them. And we all know Timmy had that in his game, uh, but it was clearly very tongue-in-cheek. But that particular piece, for some reason, caused the official Charlton Athletic match preview some concern 
referring to that piece and having taken it far, far too seriously, it seems from this following quote. It's not just on the pitch that the addicts will look to show the premiership quality this week. They will treat their opponents with respect, conduct themselves properly and look to move into the fourth round with a minimum of controversy, injury or fuss. The Daggers game before that tie had been a New Year's Day away fixture at Dover Athletic. Uh, now the, going to the Crabble is never an easy place to play well and if the crowd and the team get going uh, that can make it even more difficult and that match was no different. The Daggers lost that 3-1, finished with 10 men and the manager Gary Hill was also sent off. Not perhaps the best preparation then set against Charlton smashing Arsenal. So eager to put that match to bed and move on we... I remember looked forward to the following Saturday and we dared to dream. Could we be the first non-league team to beat a premiership side on their own ground? The morning of the game came and we made an early start to get to the valley and take in the pre-match atmosphere. Arriving early, we went into pub for some pre-match beverages to find it full of Daggers fans in all their colours. Did I recognise many of them? No. Did I care? No. Let's just make some noise for the boys. A slow walk to the ground and we planned to be in place by half past two before it got too crowded. We entered the ground and the away end is already quite full, had a nice buzz about it. Strangely enough in this large crowd I see lots of familiar faces. Some are known, some just recognised but they're all daggers and they're here at one of the biggest games in our history. The other three sides of the ground are slower to fill as no doubt there's less enthusiasm for this game from the home fans as they probably think it's just a nuisance to swat away then get back to the real stuff in the premiership and the big boys let's hope the charlton team feel that way even though their manager alan kirbishley has in interviews given the daggers full respect and promised no complacency it's worth briefly recalling the starting lineup on that day and remember just what a good team that was looking back all of them i think were certainly capable of playing at a much higher level some, in fact, did move on to do so, and some were cheated of that two years later by Boston Gate. So the team that day, goalkeeper Tony Roberts, a legend, a character, inspiration, but most of all, just a very, very good goalkeeper. Centre-back Tim Cole, hard, fast, tough tackling, didn't give anything away, a great defender. Full-back Ashley Vickers, very hard player, once gave less than 100% in the game, forced himself to kick himself. Centre-back Lee Matthews, he's a great captain. Only injuries stopped him, I think, being one of the best defenders in the conference year on year. Full-back Lee Goodwin, another defender who could defend. Touch-tight marker, again hampered by injury, but a superb player, good clubman. Winger Mark Janney, fast, skillful, could beat a player, score goals, and his crossing on the run was exceptional. Midfield Steve Heffer, another hard player, a tackler, Got his fair share of goals and a player's player, I think. One you definitely want on your side. Midfield, Paul Terry. Inevitably known as John Terry's brother, but a great up-and-down midfielder. Good tackler, made good late runs into the box and scored his fair share. Midfield, Jason Broom. Left-sided player, ran up and down non-stop all day. Tackler, scored goals. Good defender, good engine, good player. Forward, Junior McDougald. For some reason, he saved his best work for the FA Cup. A very intelligent player and good leader of the line. Forward, Danny Ship. Danny was a natural goal scorer and a good footballer as a subsequent move to midfield showed. He was also a good worker. He never gave defenders any peace. The substitutes that day were Paul Cobb, 
James Hampshire, Andy Lomas, Matt Jones and Rob Hayworth. Now when you go through that team and remember them all at their best, you can see how on a good day, if it all came together, maybe this match wasn't such a shock. The Charlton side that day was Keeley in goal, Fish, Rufus, Todd, Konchensky at the back, midfield, Jensen, Parker, Kishishev, Robinson and up front, Bartlett and Pringle. So, three o'clock it is, and the match begins, and the, it was a slightly cautious start from the Daggers, soaking up minor pressure from the home side. I suppose it was natural to expect the Premiership side to try to impose themselves, but the Daggers sat back a little, and surprisingly enough, dealt with their flurry of attacks relatively comfortable. Our own attacks were more long ball, and early on not too threatening. It was still about keeping it tight, frustrating them, make them play our game, don't let them settle, get stuck in. Or at least, that's how I've always imagined Gary Hill's team talk might have been. Gradually, the game opened out a little. Paul Terry clattered Scott Parker, and of course, in the book he went, but that's okay. We continued to press and we closed them down. The 3,000 Daggers fans are massed behind the goal we were attacking, and they start the game singing noisily, then settle down as the actual match develops. On the, on the 25th minute mark, the Daggers begin to be a little bit more adventurous, a few forays upfield and some attacking intention makes the crowd come back of their shell, recognising that yes, we might have some joy here. As it got near half-time, some daggers pressure won a couple of corners and the volume went up a few notches, culminating in a loud rendition of we're going to score in a minute, score in a minute. Even now, when I hear that song sung somewhere, or even on the television, I think back to the 42nd minute of this match. The ball was out on the right wing near the corner and Danny Ship was hassling defenders and making something happen. He managed to get the ball to Mark Janney who clipped the perfect cross over the defenders to the far post and in comes Junior. Well, who else? And heads it back across goal into the net. Who saw that coming? Well, apparently the 3,000 behind the goal did. We scored in a minute. Half time and one up and I remember texting someone at the time about the fact that we were one up and they said, well, what do you think? Can you hang on? And I said, well, I've got a feeling we might actually. It's all going quite well. Uh, it's worth reiterating at this time, there were 91 places between the teams at kick-off. And then, as I said before, a non-league side had never won at a premiership side. So there were just the 45 minutes to go. And I remember it went very quickly. Uh, Charlton huffed and puffed, uh, became less cultured, started throwing long balls into potential danger areas. But the Daggers' defence was tight and we somehow felt quite comfortable. Uh, we even had a couple of chances ourselves, and we started taking it back to the, the Charlton defence. Mark Janney outpaced the home defence, and with he only had one uh, defender between him and McDougald and Ship, but the final pass just couldn't quite find the target. And then Rob Hayworth came on as a sub, and um, with his first touch, he shot over the bar, could have perhaps scored, could have done a bit better, uh, but a genuine chance had gone. Charlton brought on John Solarco, an England international. Uh, he came on on about the hour mark and tried to revive the flagging home attack, but he hadn't really featured. But as the game entered injury time, he did make a telling contribution. The ball was played into the box and bounced about and knocked to the edge of the area, and he scuffed a left foot shot from 20 yards. He completely missed it, and it's going through a crowd of players at barely any speed. Took a slight deflection, I think Janny said it came off him at some stage, and it wrong-footed Tony Roberts in the goal. It dribbled into the net, and Charlton were mighty relieved, and Daggers were deflated. 
there was only a couple of minutes left at that time and in injury time Charlton actually had a very good chance to win it but if they'd done that that would have been an absolute travesty so the game ended at one all and now before the game that would have been a monumental result but in the aftermath of all that late drama it somehow felt a bit of a letdown never expected to feel like that the Charlton crowd were very generous in their reception and they gave the Daggers a good round of applause as they walked off the pitch uh, acknowledging the Daggers players acknowledged the home and the away fans and they posed all the pictures that we all knew would appear in the Sunday papers uh, thinking back that was a superb result and the Sunday papers do indeed give it the full attention Daggers drawn was the most popular headline that was in both the Times and the Telegraph Dagnificent another in the mirror and glee type Dags in the people Gary Hill was naturally a happy man. He was always good for a few quotes and he was in Sky Sports uh, on the Sunday morning live in the studio, still bubbling. Some of his other quotes were, I'm going to lager it tonight. And I told my lads to go out and die for the club. Every man was a hero and didn't let me or the fans down. Mark Janney said, I felt strange at the end. It was a fantastic day, but there was still disappointment. I thought I did well to get back and mark up, but then the ball struck my hand and went in. Jason Broom said about the replay, we don't want to play the game at Charlton or West Ham, we want it back at Dagenham with 5,000 of our supporters screaming in their ears. Again, as I said before, Alan Kirbishley was a very generous uh, opposition manager and he actually said Dagenham were better than us, first class and absolute credit. We couldn't get round through them or past them. The Daggers featured all over the television over the weekend and by virtue of obtaining a replay, they got in the fourth round draw. And of course, we got Tottenham Hotspur, a fantastic draw. But Dagnum, of course, being Dagnum, which is why we love them, it didn't quite go to plan. The replay was postponed at the last minute due to frost. That cost us a very large payday. The following Saturday, Weymouth came to the Daggers, did their own giant killing on us, and we went out of the trophy in the first round. Then came the replay, and we lost 1-0 after extra time. But that team used that day, I think, as a springboard to further success. And for anyone who was there that day, it was a game in Daggers history that I don't think any of us will ever forget. For my second match, I'm going to delve back to 2010, the 7th of August 2010. Now, for those of you with a good memory, you'll know that that is the year that Daggers had achieved promotion to League One after the playoff final victory over Rotherham in May 2010. Uh, for any Dagnum fan who'd been going for a, a long time, uh, the idea of playing in the Football League was really something that you thought, well, that will never actually happen to Dagenham. We might come close, as we did in the early 2000s, and you think, well, that was probably our chance, uh, and it's gone. It probably won't come back, because, let's be honest, we are quite a small club in the general scheme of things, and we sort of recognise that, hence our self-appointed uh, uh, nickname occasionally of the pub team from Essex, which always makes me smile when I hear that. Um, but somehow... We did make the Football League and then even more incredibly we managed to make it to League One in, as I say in 2010 and that summer we were eagerly anticipating the fixtures coming out and wondering who we might actually get in that first game. Uh, definitely that was a game I was not going to miss if it was home certainly and if it was away I was going to make sure I got there. Uh, there's some good teams in that league actually, uh, some local ones, Charlton, Brentford and Orient, some nearer ones, Bournemouth. Southampton and Brighton and other teams up north, of course, Huddersfield, um, Tranmere, some, some very good sides anyway. Some of those teams have gone on to 
play in the championship and some have even gone on to play in the premiership so we were we were treading uh, on that in the highest levels there sort of making our way against some other good teams who obviously had lots more facilities lots more funding than us but we were determined i think to to compete against those clubs in the traditional Dagnum way uh, which is existing on a shoestring budget finding good players selling them if we had to uh, but generally relying on team spirit collective effort a will as John still said at the time, it's all about being a dagger. That was a bit corny, but in essence, what he said was true. So that first game that we actually ended up getting was away to Sheffield Wednesday, which, let's be fair, that was a fantastic, fantastic tie. If you'd have said not too many years before that Dagenham would be playing Sheffield Wednesday uh, on an equal footing, you'd have probably been uh, thought to be a little bit mad. But nevertheless, that was what, uh, that was, what was, was chosen for us. Now, if you compare the two clubs, <clears throat> it's quite interesting. Uh, one team has won four league titles, three FA Cups, a League Cup, a Charity Shield, has a, the iconic home ground of Hillsborough. It hosted games in the World Cup in 1966. Uh, unfortunately, it's also known for the Hillsborough disaster at the Leppings Lane end, which was a bit of a blot on the, the, the history of football in this country. But nevertheless, it forms part of um, Sheffield Wednesday's history. Uh, so that's the records that they've got. Whereas one other, the other team, the Daggers, have won, have won league titles at their level. Uh, the farthest we've ever been in the FA Cup is the fourth round. We've never competed in the Charity Shield. Our home ground uh, holds about 6,000 compared to the Sheffield Wednesday home ground, 72,000. We've never hosted a World Cup game. Uh, but, um, and we've never won the League Cup, though we do hold a record in that that Sheffield Wednesday will never have, and that's that we've played in it nine times when we were a league team, and we've never won a game in it. We lost it the first uh, asking every year, so that's a record they can never take from us. And one other interesting point is, uh, despite the difference in the sizes of the grounds and the clubs, only one of those clubs has hosted a full England international. And I'll give you a clue, it's not Sheffield Wednesday. I'll come back to that later, perhaps. So anyway, that first game was going to be in August 2010, the Sheffield Wednesday away, and of course I was determined to be there. And we set off with um, uh, some friends, drove up there. Uh, I can't remember which uh, route we took. I know there's a couple of ways you can go up A1, M1, but we managed to be a little bit behind time and uh, we got caught in some roadworks and we kept on looking at the clock and the miles to go and we didn't actually think we were going to get there we normally would plan to stop off somewhere to like a little chef i imagine in those days and have a, a big fry up but that went out the window and we found we were racing against time and there was actually a point when we were at somewhere i don't know halfway there or peterborough or lincoln or somewhere around i don't know somewhere around about there where we almost decided to turn back because we didn't think we had any chance of making it in reasonable time uh, but uh, then we decided we would have one last go and hopefully get no stops and we'd, we'd get there uh, and off we went uh, zoomed away and we did actually get to the ground we missed the first five minutes or so a uh, bit of trouble parking because we were a bit late but we got in and we took our place uh, actually in the leppings lane end with a good turnout from the daggers fans now the first thing that I remember about that was when we walked into the ground. Obviously Hillsborough is a pretty big old stadium and the, the far end opposite us uh, was where the Sheffield Wednesday fans were congregating 
uh, and they were making an absolute wall of, wall of noise. That's what I always remember about that, just walking the ground and hearing that, and I thought, blimey, we've definitely arrived. Uh, but so we took our places and after about five minutes and the game had already kicked off so we'd missed that first few minutes uh, but uh, that was okay. The Daggers were actually playing in green that day which was our away kit for that particular season. Never a kit that um, anybody uh, took much delight in but I, uh, I did actually quite like that one. I've still got the replica shirt somewhere. It's worth remembering the team that day. Uh, in goal was Tony Roberts. Uh, the back four was... Um, Abu Gogo, Damien McCrory, Mark Arbor and Scott Doe. Midfielders were Peter Gain, Roman Venselow, Danny Green and Stuart Lewis. And up front, Gavin Tomlin and Paul Benson. Now, uh, from that team, nine of those players had actually played in the playoff final uh, in 2010, just a couple of months before in May. Uh, but... Uh, so nine of them had played. There was two different players. That was uh, Gavin Tomlin and Stuart Lewis. And on the bench, uh, we had seven on the bench. Uh, we had Chris Lewington, Will Antwi, Darren Curry, Damien Scannell, John Nurse and Josh Scott. John Nurse and Josh Scott being the two players who were on the bench that day who'd actually started the game at Wembley a couple of months before. There was one other sub. I'll leave that till the end, just in case anyone's listening. They'd like to have a guess who that was. He was a left back. It was only when I uh, looked at to see who the subs were that I even remembered he'd played for us. Uh, so he's a left back on the bench. So I'll say who that was at the end. Uh, now, I'm not actually going to say much about this game in a lot of ways uh, because, if I'm honest, I don't remember too much about the particular, how the game went, the patterns of play. I just remember it more as an occasion and an event, the noise, and just the fact that I was sitting there half the time thinking, my God, I'm at Hillsborough watching Dagenham in a league game. Just seemed, just seemed almost surreal, to be fair. Uh, as I say, we got in after about uh, five minutes and we were in the Leppings Lane end, which was the end that uh, Wednesday were attacking. They had a, a few well-known players at that uh, time uh, for that level. Uh, they had a winger, Gary Teal, who was, a, I think, a Scotland international. And they had Clinton Morrison up front, obviously, at that le level. He he was quite a good goal scorer, so you'd think that would be quite a difficult one for us. But we actually held it all quite together quite well. They were knocking it around better than us because they were, if you like, they were definitely a higher level. But we competed pretty well. But then quite early on, they scored two in about five minutes. One was a Scotty Doe own goal, uh, just unfortunate deflection. And the second one was... Clinton Morrison so after 15 minutes we were, we were two down and you kind of thought mm, this is going to be a long old season uh, but in fact that was how the game finished 2-0 we huffed and puffed quite a lot in the second half um, they were probably playing they could probably have gone up a gear if they'd have had to I remember I thought Roman Vanslow had an excellent game for us that day he had a couple of sort of half chances you know you like running in the box and getting getting on the end of things always very committed player and Paul Benson uh, had uh, had a couple of sort of half chances but in truth we were we were probably well beaten on the day but as I say I'm not going to talk too much about the game because that it was more about the whole experience and and the fact it was Sheffield Wednesday away. I remember their fans, they were two up, so first game of the season, everything's positive. You think you're going to win the league, don't you? Especially when you're two up after the first, uh, in the first game. So their fans took the break off. Uh, they're shouting a bit and they started enjoying uh, chanting and just generally shouting stuff out about Dagenham being a tiny club. 
Uh, it's funny, when you go to away games and the, uh, what you see the home fans shouting things, you, you can tell they all think they're the first person or the first club that's ever said the thing that you hear at every single game as if it's something original. And uh, I remember in that season, a lot of people were chanting about we were a pub team from Essex or just a, we were just a small club or who the hell are you? They were the traditional ones. And the one that came back to all of them was uh, the chant back to them was you're in the same league as Dagnum, which I thought was rather good. Uh, so we heard that, every, we used to sing that all the time and other teams would be on the receiving end, but it sort of put it in, into perspective. I remember, uh, though the, their crowd was behind the goal at the other end making all the noise, they also had quite, a, on the side, to, to the left of us, they also had quite a large uh, following and they were also making a bit of noise. In the second half, Tony Roberts was at our end and uh, he was about 40 then, so he probably wasn't at his slimmest, it's fair to say, though he was still a very good goalkeeper. And they were giving him a lot of stick about uh, you fat, whatever. And uh, as usual, he just played up to it. The crowd rolled up his tummy and was showing off his um, physique, let's say. And it was just such a good atmosphere that day, and I think they all enjoyed that as well. They probably thought we were just a little tiny club that we wouldn't be bothered with again. But it was just a wonderful, wonderful day out. Never forgotten it. Now, that League One season... Uh, obviously, as you may know, we were we were relegated that day, um, that uh, that year, and that was quite disappointing. At one stage, it looked like we would definitely finish miles at the bottom of the league. But in fact, uh, towards the end of the year, we rallied quite well, and uh, we actually only went down by one point. Now, towards the end of that season, one of the games that we had was uh, the Sheffield Wednesday return fixture at home to Dagenham. Uh, at Dagenham and it was uh, a lunchtime kickoff on a Saturday and I remember that even though uh, they didn't have, I don't think they were going for even probably the playoffs Sheffield Wednesday at that time, they still packed and it was a lunchtime kickoff, they still packed out the away end and made a hell of a noise. We actually got a one-all uh, draw in that game, Danny Green penalty with about 10 minutes to go that the ref gave, I think it was for a handball that was um, certainly a bit on the dubious side but obviously we took it and uh, uh, we were quite happy to get it, and Danny Green smashed it home. The the Daggers uh, game, uh, the Daggers side that side, uh, that day, you'd think would probably over the course of the season show a lot of differences um, from the game that had started the season, especially as um, we'd been struggling most of the season, so you'd think uh, that we'd probably have maybe tried to change the whole side. But surprisingly enough, on that uh, return fixture, eight of the starting line-up from August had uh, featured and the three that didn't were Paul Benson, who at the end of that August had been sold to Charlton. That was a big loss, and most people would think that sale probably cost us our league status uh, that year because we missed his goals, uh, and it probably did. But the fact of the matter is that, A, it was a good offer from Charlton, I believe, but B, the Dagenham policy at the time was to try and sign players and would never refuse them the move to the higher level and the, the better monetary gain if the deals, the terms of the deals were reasonable. And that's why he left, really. The sadness was that he left right at the end of the transfer window, so we never had a chance to really replace him. And that probably did send us down. So the players that didn't play were Paul Benson, uh, Gavin Tomlin and Stuart Lewis, who'd left the club by then. Uh, under some circumstances that no one ever knew about. Uh, they were replaced by Damien Scannell, John Nurse and the legend that is Baz Savage. Now Baz for Benson wasn't quite a fair swap, though he did get a few goals that year 
Um, and of course he was very famous for doing his moonwalk. And to be fair, the way he interacted with the fans was quite good as well, because that could have been quite a long season, because uh, we, we were generally down the bottom. Um, but uh, the, his interaction with the fans made it quite enjoyable in a lot of ways. He, there was lots of songs about there's only one bad savage, one bad savage. Well, it's true to say there was. I even remember him moonwalking on Soccer AM once. He was a bit of a legend. If you've never seen him do it, check him out on YouTube. Bad Savage Moonwalk. Now, the reason I think about that Sheffield Wednesday home game is, and I talked about how we went, we were relegated by one point um, on the bench that day on that Sheffield Wednesday home game was a certain Marvin Morgan. Now, anyone who was watching Dagenham at the time will know that we went down, as I say, by one point that season. And if you look back over the course of a season, you can always think, oh, well, we could have got a point in that game. That would have been good. We could have won that game. Then we definitely, that would have been even better. Uh, they say these things even out over the year, but you do, you do often wonder if that is the case. But one game that everybody will remember, because it was local, so most people probably went, was Orient away in about March sometime. And we were one up in that game. Uh, so it ended one all. Uh, they got a penalty with pretty much the last kick of the game that... It was definitely a, a home decision. It was borderline at best, and I've never ever thought it was a penalty myself. I've looked it up. It may not even have been in the area, but Femi was a judge to have fouled someone, which was ridiculous, really. I think it was Femi anyway. I'm sure it was. Um, he must have come on as a sub, perhaps. Um, but it was never a penalty, in my opinion. But they took it, they scored. So instead of getting three points in that game, we got one. But the thing about that game was when we were one up and we were we had all the all the play, we were completely on top and we were looking liable to get a second. We had a chance round about I think the 80th minute, maybe even a bit later, where the ball came to a certain player out in front of goal, an open goal. He couldn't miss it, but he did, and he was that aforementioned Marvin Morgan. He's always known for that miss at Orient, which sent us down a bit harsh perhaps but that's the way everybody really thought about it so anyway that was that game as i say i didn't talk too much about the game itself it was more about the events around it and why to me that uh, that game at shepherd wednesday away has actually always stuck in my mind for those of you who were wondering who the missing player was from that first game on the substitutes bench the left back uh, the left back uh, that I didn't mention was Gareth William who I must admit I'd probably forgotten played for us he didn't play for us for too long he wasn't the worst player as I recall he had quite a good pedigree uh, played at quite a good level but he never he didn't play much for us and uh, I think towards the end well, in that season Femi definitely would have come in and made the position his own I would think the other thing that I said that um, might have had you wondering was that only one of the teams had hosted an international game and it was Dagenham and that is actually true we hosted England versus Sweden in a full international in 2008-2008-9 it was a women's international whereas Sheffield Wednesday despite their iconic ground have only ever hosted under 21 internationals so that was one we got over them even if we didn't do a victory For my next memory I'm going to go back to 1997. Now, for 
any loyal Dagenham fan, you'll know that um, in 1997, Dagenham got to the final of the FA Trophy. Uh, in those days, um, it was a very big competition, much more so than it is now, probably taken far more seriously. The fact that the final is played at Wembley is obviously a great incentive. But nowadays, with rotation and that sort of thing happening and more league games to be played, managers often field weaker teams. So ten, teams tend not to have quite such long cut runs as maybe they did in the days gone by and when they really sort of prioritise the trophy. Now I don't think it, it does that. So 1997, we actually got to the final of the trophy at Wembley where we played Woking. And that's not the game I'm going to talk about, though. I may come back to it later. Though that game did actually have relevance to what I'm going to talk about in quite uh, an interesting way. To get to the final at Wembley, uh, Dagenham had been a few good teams along the way and we drew Gloucester City in the semi-final, played them at home in a ridiculously windy day, no score draw, and then played them uh, in the second leg the following Saturday and that finished 2-2 after extra time. Uh, Daggers were one down till right near the end and then equalised and went ahead, but Gloucester penned us back. So it was going to go to another replay that took place on Wednesday the 16th of April at Slough Town. Uh, neutral ground. Daggers actually won that game 2-1 to get to the final at Wembley. Now one of the things I remember from that game is that I heard um, while I was at that game that Dagenham actually would have a league game the following night which even in non-league football you tend to have a little bit of a break between games but because um, we were a little bit behind with games because of our trophy run uh, we were actually playing the following night and that's the game I'm going to briefly chat about. So the following night it was a Thursday night um, and we were playing Hitchin Town at home. Uh, we finished fourth in the league that year. That was the year that Ted took us over with the brief, just basically to steady the ship. Ended up taking us to Wembley, amazingly enough, uh, and he certainly steadied the ship in the league. But by the end of April, that we were not going to win the league. We were quite a long way behind Yeovil Town, who won it by an absolute street. Uh, that would have taken them into the conference at that time. Uh, and the game against Hitchin was, to some extent, a meaningless fixture. And I thought, I wonder why they've decided to play it the following night. That seems a bit of a rush when there's not much on it and risk of injury and all the rest of it. And I went over to the, the ground to see the game and uh, got in. I remember standing behind the goal and the ground was actually very empty, considering that the night before the club had just got to a Wembley final, You'd think it'd be quite buzzing and everyone would be very sort of up for it, as it were. But in fact, there was hardly anyone there because the simple reason that not many people knew about the game. This, of course, is in the days 1997 before social media and uh, internet and Twitter. So nowadays, obviously, people would know. But in those days, it, it sort of could be quite easy. Things could pass under the radar. So we had a home game against Hitchin Town. Uh, Going over there, I'm thinking, well, I don't really care too much. It'd be nice to watch a game where there's not much on it. Have the night before it was actually quite uh, stressful when Dagenham were hanging on a little bit towards the end, trying to hang on to their lead to get to Wembley. But um, so I turned up this game and I was chatting to a few friends on. We were just sort of saying, I wonder why Daggers are playing this game. It's a bit sort of strange, but there you go. And the team, the team came out and uh, it wasn't the strongest team that we could have played, obviously, after the night before. Uh, there'd be a few players with knocks and injuries, etc. But um, it did have a fair few decent players playing. Now, to anyone who remembers the team that actually ended up playing at Wembley, that was an interesting team. It had two or three really good players and 
quite a few players who might be considered not at the, the top echelons of non-league football, but made up for a quite a good side, hard-working, the rest of it. But we did have two or three good good players. The goalkeeper, Paul Gothard, was an England uh, non-league international. He was an excellent keeper. I think he's now the New Zealand, the emigrated New Zealand. I think he's now the New Zealand national goalkeeping coach or, or some quite high position. Uh, now, we had at the back, we had two centre-halves or two players, big players at the back. One was Glyn Creaser. He's a really, really big bloke, a fantastic leader, and quite a dominant figure, I would imagine, around the club and the dressing room, played played league football, was coming towards the tail end of his career, but he was he was a bit of a man mountain. And then we had another centre-half by the name of Steve Connor, who'd played for one of our forerunners, Redbridge Forest, and had been a mainstay. Also, he was an England uh, non-league international as well. He was an excellent player, played for the club for many years. Uh, very, very excellent player, very good player. Now, those two were both playing, and I thought, mm, well, they're actually pretty much the mainstays of our team. I, I was quite surprised by that, because they weren't exactly spring chickens either, so two games in 24 hours. And we were speculating why somebody else maybe hadn't come in just to cover for them for that game. Uh, then one of our number, I can't remember who, pointed out that uh, he'd heard that the reason they were playing was that because of the disciplinary uh, process, they'd had X amount of bookings during the season, or during the previous whatever period it was relevant, um, that if they were to get another uh, a booking after the following Saturday, they could potentially miss the Wembley Cup final. So they were playing this game in the hope that they'd possibly get booked, and that therefore they'd have to serve a suspension, but it wouldn't be a, a suspension that covered the Wembley final. So, if you can imagine, they sort of went out hoping to get booked, that's quite a strange scenario, really. Most times when you see big centre-halves going into tackles, getting stuck in, they um, they get booked quite easily, uh, especially nowadays. In those days, it was it was also quite easy if you went in through behind someone. Uh, but on this occasion, they both actually wanted to be booked. So right from the off, uh, as soon as it pretty much is from the kick-off, they were trying to get booked. They were kicking players. They were back-chatting to the ref. They were, I think they threw the ball away, stood over the ball, stopped three kicks being taken. And I don't know if the referee got um, a sense of what was going on, but he, he actually surprisingly seemed reluctant to book them, which made it quite funny. We were just laughing watching it, just seeing these players running around almost like kicking people, nothing happening. And normally they'd have been straight in the book, as I say. Anyway, after about 20, 25 minutes, because they were just kicking everything that moved and whatever, they had both managed to get booked. And as soon as they got booked, up came the substitution board and off they went, job done. Uh, that happened probably within about five minutes of each other. And I should think of quite a few people who were in the ground, not that there was that many, who hadn't quite realised what was going on there. were probably thinking, well, that was all a bit weird. They came on, they? kicking everybody and then they've been substituted. That was a bit, a bit strange, but that was the reason. They needed to get booking to take this threat of suspension out of the way. And that's particularly the reason why that game has always stuck in my mind. A, I doubt if many people were there because I doubt if many people knew about it. And secondly, it's very rare that you're actually cheering for your own team to get booked and be substituted. But that was pretty much what happened. And uh, the game actually finished one all. Right, uh, that's the end of my first attempt at an episode with three segments. I hope you enjoyed it and I'll be publishing a new episode soon with some other stories all centred around the daggers.